Well, you can grab a seat. Uh, and good morning once again. My name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here for Anderson College. And man, I just want to welcome you to Grace. I want to let you know that we are about halfway through an, an opening series this semester that I've really loved, I've really enjoyed because we're looking at essentially the attributes of our God. Right over these first four weeks, we've been studying who God is and what He's revealed about Himself in His Word and in our world. And to do that, we've kind of broken it into four key categories of kind of who. Who God is and how he operates. We started by looking at the immensity of our God, asking the question, well, has he really revealed enough about himself to be known? Can we really know this grand, immense God? Uh, the next week, last week, we, we talked about, well, his intelligence. We looked at, I mean, does he really know enough to help us? Is he capable? This morning we'll be looking at the intricacy of creation. We'll be looking at the, the incredible detail and the devotion that he's shown us and the depth of his love that's revealed through it. Asking ourselves, okay, well, does God, is he close enough? Even if he's capable, is he close enough to care? Is he willing and wanting to move us forward to, to help us find our best life, to find the fullest satisfaction? And then next week, we'll be wrapping things up, looking at the intimacy that we can enjoy with our God, asking that question, well, does he really care enough to be trusted, right? Can we really trust in this God who made all things, who knows the stars by name? Man, as we walk through this, I'll tell you, it's a complex topic that we're not going to cover just in the next 30 minutes, right? 40 minutes. And so instead, uh, what I would encourage you to do is maybe some of us, we, we miss some of the weeks and, and there's maybe one of those topics like that. Yeah, I would, I would love to learn more from the word about that. Well, I would encourage you, you can always go back through our sermons. We, we post them to iTunes or on our website, an opportunity to catch up on things that maybe you, you missed or that you wanted to recommend to a friend. Um, also, I would strongly encourage you to check out, we have a connected reading plan through the YouVersion Bible app. If you search uh, for God of Creation, or you search for just Grace College in the YouVersion reading plans section, man, we have an 11-day study that you just, it builds on top of what we're covering on Sundays. And I know that's not going to necessarily help all of us, but I know it could help a, a good number of us. Just over a thousand of us have actually already started and have been using this plan, and that's awesome. That's such, that's so uh, encouraging to me because ultimately our goal is that you would be learning about this Lord. You'd be learning about this incredible creator day in and day out, right? That it wouldn't be, as Rob said, just this kind of weekly check-in. And so our, our hope this morning, though, is to look more intently at the intricacy of our creation, to look at the complexity of our world. And we're asking if God's really close enough to care about who we are and where we're headed. Because a lot of times, we ourselves struggle to answer those questions. A lot of times, we even get confused about who we are, why we are the way that we are, and where we're headed in life. A lot like this guy. Don't tell anyone, but sometimes I like to think my mind is an antenna and, and I use it to tune into and join stuff. Like enjoying the sensation of my t-shirt rubbing against my skin or enjoy how the sun is always following me like a stalker. Just feeling the wind blowing gently against my Jewish nose. Okay, that was a little unnecessary, but I said it anyway. I can enjoy looking at the clouds going like Why am I worried all the time? When will it stop? 
What's the point? I just need to use my mind like an antenna and tune into good times. It's always there. I just need to pay attention to it. That's all. I guess. <laughs> Except not really. You see, this was posted and I, I saw someone shared it and uh, they connected it with a religious thing. Like, oh man, sometimes Adult Swim just gets it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes. But the reality is that, I mean, to me, what struck me after watching this was, man, that's what a horribly tragic situation to find yourself in. To, to look at the complexity of life and then turn inward. To think, okay, if I could just do better, if I could just think better, if I could just focus better, if I could just tune myself to think about those good times, like that, if that I could do that, then everything would be okay, right? Then everything will turn out all right. But the reality is that, man, if we're looking at the complexity of life and we're then relying on ourselves to navigate better, to think better, to act better, to, to move better, whatever it is, man, that's ultimately self-defeating. And I think a lot of times we still fall into that trap. Even though we see ourselves fail time and time again, even though we are really our own worst enemy in many, many decisions that we've made, in many attitudes that we've maintained, the reality is that, man, if we're turning in to the self-reliance, man, it's always going to be self-defeating. It's always going to be a hopeless battle. And yet there is still moments where I still... I want to hide my fears. I want to hide my failures. I want to kind of bottle it up. I don't want to bring other people in, right? Because it's embarrassing. And and there's times where maybe some of us don't want our parents to know how we're really dealing with that class that's hard. Or we don't want them to know about how we're handling that breakup that's just tearing us up. Maybe we don't want our friends to know about how we're struggling with, with feelings of uh, in, in inferiority or feelings of isolation or feelings of fr- frustration or how we're dealing with addictions that we just cannot break and yet we know are destructive. I mean, we're afraid at times to, that, that ultimately uh, we're, no one understands us, right? that we're just alone in our pain, that we're alone in our struggles, that our lives are just spinning out of control. So many times we fall into this trap, even as believers, even as people who have put our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, adopted out of, of being children of wrath and becoming sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. Even for those of us who have believed that, who hold fast to that truth, man, we still convince ourselves that God doesn't really care about who we are, about where we're headed. Because if he did, then situations would look different, right? If he really cared, then those things would have unfolded differently, or that person would have responded differently, or, or, or my life would look different than it does. And so this morning, we're opening up Psalm 139. And we're looking at this incredible poem, this song written by a shepherd boy named David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that reveals to us an incredible truth. That the intricacy of our creation, the intricacy of the design from our creator, I mean, it should inspire confidence in the God who put it all together. That in fact, when we're faced with the complexity of this world, it shouldn't push us inward, but instead it should point us upward. And we can be confident that the God who made us and put us together has a plan for us moving forward. That the God who has arranged our very molecules is aware of our life, is aware of our strengths and our weaknesses. And that he wants to move us forward. And he wants to draw us closer to himself. 
And we see this unfold in Psalm 139 in kind of three main movements. Essentially, we see the psalmist, we see David just acknowledging the incredible vision, the scope of God's awareness and understanding of this world. And then he moves into just praising the incredible complexity and intricacy of the creation that God has really made. And he ends with this incredible response. I think the response that all of us should strive to have where he is inviting the Lord to continue examining him, to continue leading him forward in this life. So he starts off in Psalm 139, verse 1, saying this, O Lord, you examine me and you know. God, you know when I sit down, you know when I get up. Even from far away, you understand my motives. He says, you carefully observe me when I travel or when I lie down to rest. You're aware of everything I do. Certainly my tongue does not form a, does not frame a word without you, O Lord, being thoroughly aware of it. He says, you squeeze me in from behind and in front. You place your hand on me. And your knowledge is beyond my comprehension, so far beyond me, I'm unable to fathom it. David's saying, man, the Lord's got this, our God has this incredible understanding of who we are, of where we are, and of why we are the way that we are. He's acknowledging God's incredible, the the depth and the width of it. He says, God, you have this deep and wide vision of all of creation, something we touched on last week, that if God could name the stars, where he calls the stars by name, I mean, how could we ever think that he's not aware of our struggle? He's not aware of our need for vindication. And so he, tell, he starts off, right, by saying, God, you, you examine me and you know, you know when I sit down, you, say, you know these things. He says, literally the term that he's using right here, this Hebrew term, shakar, he's saying, you have investigated me. Right? When, when they talked about, like, I'm you know, moving into a new territory and moving into an, a new area, they would use this term, shakar, that, he, that we're translating here as exam. And he's saying, yeah, it's, it's this idea of exploration or investigation. He says, God, you have this incredible, full understanding of who I am. Right? You've investigated me. And this is something that, you know, we don't always feel like we're experiencing in life, right? Maybe there's times where we're like, man, no one really knows me that deeply. No one really knows me that well. And maybe that's true. Some of us, maybe we're like, no, definitely. I've been dating this girl for four months now. She just gets me, right? Like, that's, this is true. She knows I'm a Lane's boy, not a Kane's joker or whatever. You know, like, she just knows the depths of my soul. And that's great. Good for you. Uh, for others of us... I'll tell you that maybe if you don't feel like this every moment of every day, I, I guarantee you probably at some point early in your life, you had this type of relationship with probably one or both of your parents. You see, my wife and I have three kids. We have a daughter, Charlotte, who's four and a half, son, Lawrence, who's two and a half, and a baby, Liam, who is six months. And Susan, my wife, has this incredible deep understanding of our children, especially when they're in the baby zone, right? Especially when they're in this like baby mode. Uh, with Liam, where she just, she just has this incredible awareness and understanding of how he is designed. Like, she will pick things out. She'll tell me, she's like, oh, no, Liam's getting a rash. And I, like, look at him, I'm like, oh, he seems fine, right? She's like, no, look. And she'll, like, pull his knee up to my face, and I see that there's, like, one little dot on, like, the side of his knee bone. Or I don't know if he has that yet, because he's a baby, but it's a lot of cartilage. But on the, on the side of his knee blob. And I'm like... Okay, right? Like, there's just this tiny little thing. I'm like, I mean, I, I guess. But then, sure enough, like the next day, he wakes up and he's just red. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did you know this? Like, how, who told you this to be true? Like, she just knows the way that he operates. 
She knows how he's designed. She's aware of all these little pieces about him. Because why? Because she loves him. She cares about him. She's his mother who spends all of her time with him. And so she knows, man, I, I, I understand who this kid is. She knows that this cry ah, means he's tired. And this cry ah, means he's hungry. I'm just like, he's just fussy. Right? Like, I don't know what's going on. For me, I'm just like, okay, if I can just count one kid, two kid, three kid, okay, we're good. Like, that's, that's the level of awareness that I try to maintain. And my wife, though, has this incredible understanding that I respect, that I admire, that I appreciate. And that's what David says God has for us, for every single one of us. That our God actually understands who we are on this incredible, intimate, deep level. He understands your hopes. He understands your dreams. He understands your fears. And he understands your frustrations. He, he, he is aware of how your life is happening of, of who you have been designed to be. And in fact, that's what we see in the book of Hebrews is that the author tells us that part of why Jesus Christ came to this earth was not only to buy us out of sin and death, was not only to save us and, and reconcile us to restore a relationship between us and the God of the universe, but Jesus Christ also came so that he could deepen his knowledge and understanding of the human experience. He says that we now have a great high priest who can relate to us, who has empathy for us, because he struggled in ways that we'll never even reach. He's, he's endured hardship that we'll never have to even endure. He walked through this world so that he could better empathize with our experience. I mean, how incredible is it that that's our God? That he would lower himself to that level. Saying, I, I want to walk the roads that you're walking. I want to see the pain that you're experiencing. God says, I know who you are. And it's more than that. Even beyond that, David says, you, you're aware, you know when I sit down and when I get up. And he's using this Hebrew terminology, this figure of speech called a merism. Which is essentially where the in Hebrew literature they would take two two opposites and lump them together, basically just illustrating you know all things right you know everything in between. So he's not just telling God like you're aware of my posture when I'm there. Like that's not what's amazing to David. I mean that is amazing, but he's he's not just saying that. He's saying God, you're aware of everything that I do. Right, you're aware of every moment of my life and how things are unfolding. Which is amazing because some of us, we don't even know that about ourselves, right? Some of us, we show up at college, maybe we're like two weeks into college. Some of us maybe are like a year or two in. And we have these incredible, like the self-awareness where we have this maybe perfect step-by-step plan for every day. You know tomorrow, exactly when you're waking up, you know your boots are going to hit the ground on campus. Like at a certain time, you're like, okay, I'm going to get on bus four. Like my fallback buses are like seven, 12 and 22. Like I know exactly like when they show up, I've got it all mapped out. I know the path I'm going to take. I'm going to cut through this building because they have a really nice bathroom that's not very used or whatever. Like I'm going to, I'm going to move in this direction. I'm going to sit for just, I'm going to eat my clotchy roll for this 90 second break at the feet of Sol Ross to get his blessing. And then I'm going to move on. Like I'm going to just, I have have this perfect step-by-step awareness of how my day is going to unfold. And that's awesome. There's others of us that are maybe getting on in our years. We're all juniors or seniors or super-duper seniors. And we're just kind of in this point in life that I think I got to like sophomore year where you just kind of, you find a bus and you just kind of get on with a hope and a prayer. And you're like, God, take me where I need to go. I'm just going to... See what happens and hope my class friends text me to remind me where I'm supposed to be. Like you just, you, 
maybe don't have that same level of awareness about how every moment of every day is going to actually unfold. But David is telling us that our God, or the creator of the universe, has an incredibly deep and wide understanding of not only who we are, but what we do. That he sees us in our victories. He sees us in our defeats. He sees us in our laughter. And he sees us in our tears. He is aware of all these pieces. And it's not even just that he knows who we are and what we do. But also, David says, look, you see from far away. You understand my motives. And when he's talking about this, this distance, he's not talking geographical. It's not like, God, you're up in heaven. I'm down here. He, he's speaking with, in terms of uh, chronological it's time. He's saying, God, you see from, from across time, from, from you can look into my future, you can look into my past, Lord, you are out, you're outside of this whole you know, fourth dimension. He says, God, you see from far away my motives. In other words, God, you can see past just my external appearance, but God, you see my heart. God, you understand why I am the way that I am. You understand why I do what I do. And that's incredible. Right, because we look at other people and we're like, I don't get that at all, right? You wore what? You spent how much on that? Mm, bracelet? Hat? Shoes? Shoes? Right, like you, you went down what path? You, you responded, what? man, we don't understand other people and why they do the things that they do. We also don't even understand ourselves. Personally, I found myself just baffled, baffled by motivations about two months ago. Uh, when the whole storming Area 51 thing popped up, right? Which a lot of us, we've like moved on. We're like, yeah, whatever. It's coming up though, September 20th. Mark your calendar. It's like two weeks away. Uh, some of you apparently have said you're going. Uh, when I looked up the event page recently, um, I found out that there are currently 2 million people that are saying, yeah, I'm going to storm Area 51. I'm going to see them aliens or whatever it says. Uh, they can't stop all of us. And I discovered that 11 people I, or 13 people I know are supposedly going <laughs> and are going to be a part of this or at least interested in it. One of them is a guy, Connor McMillan, uh, who serves with us here. He was at the nine. He's probably in hiding or he's probably on his way now. He left. He left because he's like, I got to get there. Um, I, I don't understand that, right? I love it, but I don't understand it. I don't understand why it kicked off this like huge meme storm. I loved it. I don't understand it. Why we started making these memes and putting these things together. Like, this is like how we're going to get there. (laughs) Just sneaking in. Uh, This is how we're going to get out, right? Empowered by our new alien companions. They're just going to E.T. bike blast us out of that base. Uh, I, I loved the moment where it crossed over into dank Christian meme territory and started talking about... How if the sea couldn't stop Moses, the wall couldn't stop Joshua, if the giant couldn't stop David, if death couldn't stop Jesus, then nothing can stop you from storming Area 51. I love it. I love it. I do not understand it. I do not understand it. But I love it. And yet God looks at us, even in these moments, and he understands why. Which should really just baffle us. That he can understand why we are the way that we are. Why we do what we do. David says, you see my passion. You see my motivations. And this is true of every single one of us. Our God, the creator of the universe, is aware of what fires you up. He's aware of why you do the things that you do. He's aware of your strengths and he's aware of your weaknesses. He understands all of this about you. And when David understood this about our God, he says, God, I feel like it's almost as if you've squeezed me in from behind and in front. That you've placed your hand upon me. 
He's using a tactical term here. In the Hebrew, he's literally saying, you, you've hemmed me and you've trapped me. It was, it was, they would use it in military maneuvers. They'd say, we've got we to surround them, encase them, and close them. That's what David's saying. God, it feels like you have surrounded me and encased me and enclosed me that I cannot escape. Right, and for some of us, that sounds a little terrifying. We don't, we don't like tight spaces. We're like, I don't want, don't hug me, like whatever. And, and that's, you know, a response that we sometimes have to being constrained. There's other times, though, where being constrained is really, really good. There's other times where we really need someone to have that firm grasp on our life uh, as seen here. was terrifying ding oh my gosh there are times when we need someone to step in and grab a hold of our ankle and pull us out of the ocean my goodness right there's times when that constraining that that comfort that hand should bring a lot of comfort right fun fact you can find like thousands of these like dad saves there's not a lot of mom saves my my theory is that moms don't let their kids get in these situations in the first place they plan ahead but you see these moments where essentially being constrained, being fully known or understood, man, it could bring incredible comfort. But the reality is that it also can bring conflict. That it can bring a, a hesitancy or a frustration on, on either side. Right? There's people, when they understand kind of why we did those things, they get more upset with us. And that can be scary. And, and, and so then we don't want to share as much because we don't want them to really understand the, the depth of our mistake. Or maybe there's times where we don't want to share the things that we, you know, frustrate us or the things that we're fearful of um, because it's, it's hard to confess our limitations to people that we love, right? We like to run and hide in the dark. That's just human nature. We love to kind of escape and take the things we're ashamed of, take the things we're afraid of, and we just kind of box it up and we hide it and we don't want anyone to see it. Even the people that we hold most dear, we don't want them to see it. Because on some level, we're fearful that they're going to think less of us, they're going to love us less, they're going to care about us less, they're going to leave us and abandon us. And maybe some of us, we've seen that play out. It's tragic. But that's not what our God calls us to. You see, David was a man after God's own heart. It says that over and over again in Scripture, the, the one who wrote this psalm. And a lot of what I think that came down to, I think the reason that he's called that, he's described in that way as a man after God's own heart, the only person in the law of Scripture described like that, is because David, when he was in his fault, when he was in his failure, which happened a lot, he ran to God, not away. See, we can run and hide in the darkness, but I'll tell you, we should run and rest in the light of the forgiveness and the grace of our God. I mentioned my two sons. Uh, Liam is not getting into too much trouble these days. He's six months old. There's only so much you can do. Um, But Lawrence, good grief. This kid loves to just go, he loves to run against the flow. Right, he if something is on, he wants it off. If something is open, he wants it closed. Vice versa. If he finds a button, he's going to push it there's a switch, he's going to toggle it. And this has gotten him into 
precarious and dangerous situations, right? He wants to play with the oven. He wants to play with, like, washing machines. He wants to play with, like, toasters, just, like, turn it on. Like, let's see what happens. Like, that's just how he's wired. That's how he's geared. And so we've reached points in our lives now where we know, I know this about him. And so we have to be really cautious. We have to tell him over and over again, hey, Lawrence, don't mess with that. Don't mess with that. Don't close the car door. Daddy's standing in the doorway. Please don't kill me. Like, that's, please, please preserve my life, two and a half year old. And we've reached a point now where if I know, if I'm aware, I'm aware that he's either like, he's gone off and I see my door was open. He went to my room. I know he's going for someone's Kindle. He's going for someone's iPad. He's going for something. And so I will just say, Lawrence, I don't even have to, I don't even say it like I'm angry or, or, or like with menace. I just say Lawrence and immediately just his immediate reaction. I hear, sorry. <laughs> and then he runs out. <laughs> and this is what's incredible is that in that moment, he knows he's in the wrong, but he doesn't run away. In those moments, he actually runs to me. He says, sorry. And then he runs out. And a lot of times he'll like come and like hug my leg. I'm like, I'm, you, you, okay, I love you. You know, like, I guess. No, but I'm so glad that he runs to me. Why? Because I want to impress upon him. I try to tell him and his sister and his brother over and over and over again, man, I, we will, mom and dad, we love you forever and ever, no matter what. We will always love you. We will always care for you. We will always be here for you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what's happened. We want you to run to us, even when you're in the wrong. Why? Because maybe discipline needs to happen, but we want to prepare you for the best life possible. We want you to stop doing these things. Discipline occurs, right? Discipline is brought by the father who loves his child because he wants ultimately what's best for that kid's life. So I say, Lawrence, I want you to run. Come here, man. I love you. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm telling you these things, buddy, to keep you safe. I promise. And so time and time again, we find ourselves maybe in failure. We find ourselves making mistakes. But God is saying, I want you to be confident to run to me, not away. Don't try to hide. It's not going to work. And that's the beauty of our gospel. That our God looked at us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our failure, and he didn't say, hey, figure things out, like do better, and then let's talk. God saw us in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our sin, of of being literally what we're described as children of wrath, rebelling against the God who made us. God looked at us in that failure, and he says, I'm going to step in. He says, I'm going to make a way for you to know me. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven and onto earth to live the life that you cannot live, to die the death that you deserve, to be raised from the dead three days later, proving that if you call on his name, if you trust in who he is and what he's done, then you can be free from that sin. You can be free from that defeat, that the grave is no longer your end. God's saying, I I love you too much to leave you alone. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to give you grace, undeserved kindness, to give you mercy, undeserved forgiveness. He says, I'm going to give you those things through Jesus Christ. I want you to run to me. I want you to turn from these things that are ultimately going to lead to your self-destruction. I want you to trust in me in my direction. I mean, that's the beauty of our gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what David saw on some level that we have a God who loves to redeem. And he saw that because of God's understanding and awareness of our lives. But he also found not just comfort in God's vision, but he found confidence in God's creation. 
Because he understood when he looked at the complexity of this world, he says, man, this is God's work. Right? He says in verse 13, he says, certainly you made my mind and my heart. You wove me together in my mother's womb. He says, I will give thanks because your deeds are awesome and amazing. He says, you knew me thoroughly. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and sewed together in the depths of the earth. He goes on and says, your eyes saw me when I was inside the womb. All the days of my life were ordained for me, recorded in your scroll. It says, God, you have been a part of weaving me together. Literally, when he says, you made my heart and my mind and heart, we're translating this in English as mind and heart. Literally in the Hebrew, he's saying kidneys. He says, certainly you made my kidneys, which just doesn't carry the same weight in English, right? Because you're like, I mean, I guess. And some of us are like Ben's. We're in an anatomy class right now. We're like, wow, kidneys are the best, right? And that gets us fired up. For the others of us, we're like, okay, yeah, like, are you like, they make you pee or something? I don't know. Like that, we don't know. And the thing is that the context is that back in that time, uh, their understanding of human anatomy was very, very small. There was not a lot of understanding about how our bodies worked. And so when people in those days, in David's day, when they looked at the body, they thought that different organs kind of were, were part of your emotional system. They thought that the liver, for example, was this big old organ. They thought, okay, that's the seat of your compassion, of your ability to feel for other people. And when they saw the kidneys, they said, okay, those things, they look like beans, right? There's two of them. Therefore, they must be the seat of one's emotions and moral character. Yeah, okay, lines up. Right? Like that's, that's the conclusion that they got to. And so literally David is saying, you made my kidneys because he's saying, God, you've designed the core of who I am, not just physically, but even emotionally and spiritually. God, you've, you've knit me together. You've woven me together in this incredibly intricate and intentional way. He says, God, that, that's something that changes my perspective, right? It, it changes my outlook on my place in this world to recognize that you have shown this incredible level of care and concern for my makeup, All right? Now, when we've learned more about the human body, it's happened over the past few thousand years, uh, we actually, uh, at this point, you know, we, we look a lot deeper than just the kidneys, and we, we know, okay, um, we actually have this, this base level of DNA, right? We have this human genome that kind of is this old, kind of this core uh, programming of kind of who we are and how we operate, the way that we were formed, all these things. Uh, and some of us, again, the bimmers in here, were like, yeah, genome is so good, right? Others of us are like, I don't know, I watch the stock market. That's fine. Uh, so I'll just tell you this. That the human genome is the complete set of nucleic acid sequences for humans, right? It's encoded as DNA within the 23 chromosome pairs in cell nuclei and in a small DNA molecule found within individual mitochondria, which we all know is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> Good. Common ground, right? So we're all biologists. We're all anatomists. All right, so we're all on board. But I'll tell you this, this is what's incredible that we've learned. So within our DNA, so within just an individual cell, there's about three gigabytes of information in that one cell thing, okay? And and what that means is that if a person typed 60 words a minute for eight hours a day for 50 years, they would be able to type out all the information held within that one cell. That's amazing. 
right? And, and beyond that, even, what, what we've discovered is that our, our DNA is it's made in that, it's in coils, right? So you kind of picture the model. It's like that ladder, that coily little ladder, and there's like little rungs. Um, but it's actually, it's, it's like if you took a string and you started twisting it on itself, what would happen is it would start to coil up, and then it would coil on itself and coil and coil and coil and coil, and you'd have these super coils. And so that's the way our DNA is designed. Um, and what happens is that uh, we've realized that if we actually took all that DNA, if we took all that information and we spread it out, uh, you would wind up with, again, remember, we're talking on this like very tiny molecular scale. If you stretched it out, you'd actually wind up with about six feet of stuff, I guess, right? Those nucleic acids and whatnot. And it would be six feet tall or you know, long, so about to here, to here. And you actually have lowball estimate about 10 trillion cells in your body. And so when they run all these numbers and done all this math, what they found is that um, you have about 60 trillion feet or about 10 billion miles of DNA inside of you right now. It's just all coiled up. It's just very dense. And so if you stretched it all out and you put it, you know, end to end to end, what would happen is you could actually go between the earth and the sun, right? So back and forth 61 times with just the, that fundamental building block of who you are how, how you're designed, which is really weird, right? And still feels a little bit unknowable. Um, but there's incredible intricacy to that. There's also intentionality. What they found is that at this current state in human kind of civilization and change is that uh, there, you have about 1,300, 13,500, sorry, 13,500 variants within you that have kind of amassed over the years, um, and within that, there's like these 300 that affect gene function. Basically, all that they found out is that you and your specific combination of cells and makeup and all the things that came together to make you you, um, you are, the chances of that are about 1 in 3 times 10 to the 614th, which this PhD guy out of Stanford was talking about. He says that that's a number that's so large, it's basically meaningless. He says, at least that's what my desktop, calcu- my desktop calculator told me, which returns this response when I try to plug in that number. It tells me, not a number. Yeah. And that's why we would win the war against machines, because we know <laughs> what's ultimately a number. And I'll tell you, I'll, you know, I, we can go through those stats and those figures and those numbers, and it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't really move my needle. Like, I know for some people, they're like, that's awesome, send me the links. I will, great, let me know. Um, but we can still feel really small. We can still feel insignificant. We can still feel ins- insufficient, even with that knowledge, right? Even with all those facts and those figures, even, even with all that information, um, it, it leaves us maybe wanting. And, and that's why I think our God didn't write those statistics in our scripture. He could have, right? He made us. He knit us together. Um, he knows that ultimately, uh, you know, he knows things about us and about our biology and our anatomy that we don't know ourselves. Hey, can you go to the next one, Michael? This just stopped working. And that's why I think he goes a different route in scripture. And so when we look in scripture and we see the idea of how we've been created, the intricate detail, time and time again, it's this allusion to a potter and clay. We see it in the prophets, we see it in the New Testament, we see it in the Old Testament. It's this idea that ultimately it's like we're clay in the hands of the potter, the great potter. And it comes from that first moment of humanity, laid out in Genesis 2, which told us that the Lord God formed the man from the soil of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Literally, what it tells us in Scripture is that God took what is essentially dust. Which in and of itself is not that impressive. It hurts your nose if you inhale it. 
I discovered. Don't do that. But in and of itself, it's like, okay, yeah, it's like a mass of like goopy stuff and it doesn't really do much. It'll probably stain the tablecloth. Oh, well. But what the Lord did is he took the breath of life, literally the ruah in Hebrew. It's this, the, the term we use to describe the spirit of God, the living spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And he breathed this, this spirit, this essence into us, which if I blew into this, it would be really bad. So I'm going to use water, right? The living water. And that's the illustration we see over and over again in Scripture. The idea that God took this dust, he took this powder, and he shaped it, right? And he formed it. And it's beautiful because even today, right, you can go out, you can get a lot of, we have a lot of clay in our soil here in College Station. It's what makes all of our houses lean, fun fact. Uh, But it also is just this incredible, right, combination of elements where when you take oh man too much water when you take these oh pieces and put them together god wouldn't have to do this this is because i'm broken all right but (laughs) when we take these pieces together um suddenly what was once just dust right what was once just this kind of pile of stuff uh it takes shape right and all of a sudden, I can put my intent into it. Right? All of a sudden, I can begin to shape it and form it into something that I want it to be. I can give it a design and something that distinguishes it from the rest of the dust that's just laying out there on the ground. And that's what David saw from God. That's what he reveals in Psalm 139. He says, God, you, you wove me together. God, you knit me together. Lord, you saw nothing was hidden from you across time and space. You were aware and you, you, you formed me. And the level of detail that you put into it shows me the depth of your love. That's why David was so comforted by God's understanding. That's why he was so confident in God's design. Not because he thought he was perfect, right? He's not saying, God, I'm, I'm confident in your design because, God, I've just got it all together. Man, you did a good job. That's not what he's saying. Saying, God, I'm confident in your design because I know that there was thought and intention behind it. That, Lord, you started with what was just dust and you formed it into something malleable. He says, and God, you started to put me together in such a way that, man, there's going to be broken parts of me, right? There's going to be weaknesses alongside those strengths, but those weaknesses don't surprise the Lord. Instead, he's aware of the sin in our life. He's aware of sin and fault and failure that we don't even, we haven't even touched yet. Over time, he convicts us and he he reveals to us more of who we are and how we're wired. And sometimes it's really encouraging and sometimes it's really hard. But David is admitting, he's confessing, he's saying, God, you have done this all with a purpose. You've done it all with a mission in mind. And so even though I look at myself and I don't necessarily see perfection, right? When I look at myself and I still see the mistakes that I've made in my past. God, I still see the wrong motives that I will fall into. God, I still see maybe the, the fears that I can't shake, the habits that I can't break. He says, ultimately, God, I, I know that you've done it all for a reason. And so even as the Lord put us together, formed us up, and gave us like a little blobby head, 
And even when he gave us these little stubby arms, even as he squeezed out our stump legs, eh? mm. it's a little wet, but God said, hey, I know you. And I know what I have planned for you. And I want you to trust me. Because ultimately, you're my creation. You're my little dude. Hello. <laughs> and the Lord says there's, there's intention behind that. That's why when David kind of lands, when he responds to these truths about God, he closes out Psalm 139 with this incredible invitation. He says, God, based on who you are, based on what you've done, this is what I want you to continue to do. God, I want you, in verse 23, to examine me, to probe my thoughts, to test me, to know my concerns, to see if there's any idolatrous tendency in me, to lead me in the reliable ancient path. David says, God... He starts off acknowledging, Lord, you've already examined me. You already know me. You've investigated me. You're aware of who I am. You're aware of what I do. You're aware of why it all happens. He says, God, it's not that I need you to do these things for your benefit. He says, God, I want you to do these things for mine. He says, God, I want you to continue to search me out and to show me things about who I am. I want you to root out the things that pull me away from you. That's what the idolatrous tendency is. He says, God, I want you to, I want you to show me those weaknesses, not so that I can feel shame and guilt about it, but, but so, God, I can lean into your strength. Right? That's the beauty of our weakness is that it forces us to rely upon the strength, the perfect power of our God. He says, God, I want you not just to examine me and to investigate me, but God, I want you to instruct me. God, I want you to lead me forward on this path that you've laid out. God, I want you to remind me of the truth that even when I'm tempted to run and hide, that God, that I can be confident in the truth, that even when I think, man, no one understands me, I can come back to the truth and no, God knows me. He knows me completely. Even when I'm tempted to believe I'm alone in my pain, I'm alone in my struggle, the reality is that, no, our God is with us. He says, even though I want to believe that maybe my life is just spinning out of control, he says, God, I want to remember that ultimately you know what you're doing. And suddenly we can be with David in this moment of being comforted by the vision of God, being comforted by his perspective and his understanding, being confident in his design that, yeah, it's going to show up in our lives in, in ways that we don't always expect. It's maybe going to show up in ways that we don't always love in the moment, but we can trust that ultimately it's for our best. And then in light of those incredible truths, in light of those attributes of who God is, we invite him to continue examining us, to lead us forward. So let's do that today. God, we thank you that you have given us this incredible revelation about yourself. That, Lord, that you have shown us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you are, in fact, for us, not against us. That, God, that you are aware of us. You're not ignoring us. God, you're not just losing track of us. Lord, there's, there's not days that just kind of escape your notice. But, in fact, Lord, you are so aware of who we are, of what we've done, God, of where we're headed. God, you, you made us the way that we are. God, you've knit us together with intention in an intricate way. God, that ultimately is to serve your glory, is to, to proclaim your name and your fame across this world. And so for some of us, man, we are maybe seeing this reality for the first time. 
Maybe this is a moment where the Spirit of God is, is, is convicting us and calling us to himself. He's saying, I made you and I love you. And I see the mistakes. I see the failure. But I want to redeem it. I want to be strong where you're weak. I want to forgive where you failed. And some of us are realizing that for the very first time. And, and if that's you, if, you, if you're seeing your need for the Lord, if you're seeing your need for the saving power of Jesus Christ, I would just ask, because our eyes are still closed, our heads are still down. I mean, I would love to pray with you. I would love to pray for you and with you. And so if that's you, if you're realizing, man, this is something that I need to trust in. This is something that I'm, I'm just now grasping. If you would just raise your hand where you are, just so I can see you, just so I can be praying for you. So those of, on staff, those of us on staff can just meet you where you are. So if you've raised your hand, you can put it down. It's awesome. And, and I would invite you all to pray with me. God, you... God, you see us. God, you know us. And God, you've, you've made a way for us to know you in a relationship, being adopted as your children. God, we see now that that is a, an opportunity that's found by trusting in Jesus Christ. By, by, by trusting in him for the forgiveness of our sins, of our mistakes. God, it's a relationship that's found by, by just believing in our heart that Jesus is Lord. And I'd encourage you that if you just prayed that with me, it wasn't this step-by-step magical formula, but instead you were just revealing your heart and confessing the Lord that you need him and that you believe that Jesus made a way for you to know him. And that, that's, that's the step that it takes to enter out of death and into life. For others of us, maybe that's a reality that, that we've grasped long ago. And praise God for that. But it's, it's a reality, uh, an understanding that maybe we lose sight of in the day to day. I know that I do. And I know we can all fall into that. Of just forgetting the grace of God, forgetting his call in our life. And so if that's you, I would encourage you to just take a moment right now and pray to him in the stillness of your heart and the quiet of your mind to just say, God, bring to my mind, how can I run to you this week? Lord, what do I need to confess? Lord, what are the conversations I need to have? God, what's, what's the time that I could set aside to just be in prayer and talking with you? God, what's the time I could set aside to just be in your word, learning from you, receiving the instruction I so desperately need? Ask the Lord to just bring that to your mind right now. He knows your next step. He knows the path that he's laid out before eternity began. Say, so God, show me what it is. How can I run to you this week? Ask him that right now.